1: Hi, everyone. Judge Andrew Napolitano here for Judging Freedom. Today is Tuesday, January 23rd, 2024. Lieutenant Colonel Karen Kwiatkowski is here on Joe Biden and killing. But first this. Judge Napolitano here. Do you know that we the people have reached $34 trillion plus in debt? It's unsustainable and it's growing. Our government is addicted to printing money and it's not going to stop. And if you believe that as I do, then you need to understand why gold prices will continue to rise along with our staggering debt. In this report called $3,200 gold, it explains how rising debt will cause the value of gold to rise and it could reach $3,200 an ounce. Listen to some of the stats that I pulled from this report. They make a very strong case for the likely surge in the value of gold. In 2002, gold was $256 an ounce and the national debt was $6.5 trillion. Last year, the debt broke through $33 trillion and gold exceeded $2,000 an ounce. That is a 400% rise in the debt and a 700% staggering rise in the value of gold. And now the debt has hit $34 trillion, and the value of gold continues to rise along with it. It's great information from my friends at Lear Capital, and I encourage every one of you to call today and get your copy of this report. There's no obligation to purchase. It's a free report. It's free education. Call 800-511-4620 or go to learjudgenap.com, and when you talk to my friends at Lear, tell them the judge sent you. Karen, how are you, uh, my uh, my dear friend? Uh, what is the status of things in Ukraine? Is Ukraine on its last leg?
2: Well, it it certainly is um, militarily. It's been on its last leg for some time, and it looks like um, you know politically uh, the leadership is um, is struggling. And I don't mean just uh, Zelensky, but uh, you know they're talking about uh, replacing his. Uh, top general with an uh, intel guy, uh, an intelligence uh, expert, not with combat skills, but somebody who is trusted. And it's, it's kind of the bunker mentality that you see. Um, so I think it's going really bad for not just militarily, but for the whole country and for the political cohesion of, of Ukraine. Um, they don't seem willing to talk. They don't seem willing to um, reasonably uh, deal with Russia or anybody else to make peace. So it's hard to say how long they can hang on, um, but uh, it's not good. I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want, not want to be in Ukraine. And if I was a Ukrainian, I would be crying.
1: Um, we have seen reports of Ukrainian young men having, this is a little crude when I'm about to tell you, although you, you're a career military veteran, so you've heard this kind of thing of, of young men having their friends intentionally break their legs so that they would not qualify for being kidnapped and then drafted, willing to endure a crude damaging to their body rather than being thrown into the front lines without any preparation whatsoever, only to be slaughtered.
2: Yeah, I mean, I mean it's, it's has to be an, indi-
1: an indication that the end is near, doesn't it?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, they can't find soldiers. Uh, the, the soldiers they have, they can't train. Um, to the levels that they need. They can't, they cannot uh, supply these soldiers with, with anything that will keep them alive. So the, guy, the people in Ukraine that are fighting kind of have a clear picture of what's going on. Now, could Ukraine continue like this? Well, there's things they can do, and we're seeing it, of course, with these uh, missile and drone strikes into Russia, um, you know, into uh, Crimea, So they can still cause problems for Russia by doing that. But they can't. Things that you need to do with a qualified, manned, energetic, well-fed and well-trained army. Those are the things they cannot do because they don't have that and they can't create that at this point in time.
1: Chris uh, will run uh, some what we call B-roll, some photographs of this while we're talking about it. We did a, a special show on Sunday Uh, Because Patrick Lancaster, the American, uh, uh, very courageous independent journalist who's in the the parts of Ukraine that Russia says are Russia and the parts of Ukraine that Ukraine has been bombing, uh, Mm -hmm. called us up before the sun came up uh, and said there's just been a missile attack on a market, an open air market, and I'm right here. And I've counted... We blurred him because we have to blur the dead bodies in order not to offend anybody and, and conform to YouTube's uh, requirements. Um, basically said, I'm here and I'm counting the dead and they're 25 dead. They're just newly dead. Put me on to uh, explain this. So my question to you, Karen, is of what conceivable military purpose is there uh, to sending two missiles into an open air market on a Sunday morning? knowing it's only going to kill civilians, and it does.
2: Yeah. Well, the purpose is, of course, to uh, incite uh, an overreaction by uh, Russia that will feed into uh, Zelensky's narrative, will feed into NATO, NATO's narrative. Um, they want an overreaction. Um, they want a counterattack that will be something they can hold up and say, "See, stop looking at Gaza. Our people are dying. We need to get you, your Congress off the dime to give us the rest of the 50 billion or whatever it is. Um, so I think they're trying to incite a response. And that is also kind of a desperate measure. Um, it, it also kind of <laughs> illustrates that they, they could care less about uh, a, rule, a rules-based uh, order than they keep talking about.
1: Um, here is uh, Secretary Blinken. This is a few weeks ago. I'm playing it because we're going to contrast him to Foreign Minister Lavrov in a minute. But here's Secretary Blinken saying... In elaborating, Putin
0: has failed. Putin has already failed in what he set out to do. He set out to erase Ukraine from the map, to eliminate its independence, to subsume it into Russia. That has failed, and it cannot and will not succeed. Second, uh, Ukraine has not only stood up to the aggression. Over the past year, it took back more than 50% of the territory that had been taken from it in February of 2022. The last year, uh, the last part of the last year has been challenging, but even then, something that got little notice, what Ukraine managed to do in the Black Sea, opening it up, pushing the Russian Navy back and starting to get grain out to the world. It's been the breadbasket of the world. It's gone back to that as a result of actions it's taken.
1: All right, I misspoke. This is not a couple of weeks ago. This is last week uh, in Davos. Now, Who does he think he is fooling? When he says to an international audience, the questioner is Tom Friedman from the New York Times. Yeah,
2: I couldn't Uh, I realize that. Yeah. Tom should know better. He was nodding the whole way.
1: Right. Who who does he think he's kidding when he says Putin has failed?
0: As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle
1: memory that you have, the smoother your weld is.
0: Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact.
2: I can't imagine even the people in Davos, which are, um, while they certainly have a a narrow perspective on things, they are well-informed in many ways. They're heavily European. So uh, you know they, they have a, a sense of uh, the reality, uh, but yeah, he he seemed to be making a lot of eye contact with Tom, who was no- nodding very vigorously. So I think it was two people, you know, trying to uh, talk over the truth because there is there was no truth in what he's saying, and it, it starts with the assumption that Putin intended to destroy Ukraine or to take it all back completely or to. Uh, take it over or to surge his troops to Poland or and beyond. Never, ever has that been a Putin objective or a Russian objective, but it's also known by the NATO folks, the people that run NATO, and many of the people that I'm sure were at Davos understand very well that that was never part of this, uh, this uh, operation. You know, there was a red line. The head of NATO said it. He said, "Yeah, well, we, you know, we we pushed this NATO thing, and we kind of blew it. I mean, he's admitted this publicly to European audiences. So right. um, clearly, the Americans are isolated in their fantasy. At least Blinken is, and Tom Tom Friedman as well.
1: You know, uh, this is a, a part of a long interview where we can't play the whole interview, but Tom is going like this. I'm shaking my head <laughs> up and down for those of you that are that are uh, getting the show on audio only." Uh, incessantly to the point where a number of our uh, guests and viewers have uh, commented on it. Compare Uh, what uh, Secretary uh, Blinken said to Foreign Minister Lavrov. This is cut number two. The United States is using Ukraine as a battering ram, as an instrument of war, and notwithstanding what the press will tell you, Russia has always been willing to talk. Listen to this.
3: Anybody who is sincerely interested in justice, uh, including justice being established in the relations between Russia and Ukraine, uh, which would involve, of course, stop uh, stopping the Western policy of using Ukraine as an instrument of war against Russia, we would be ready to listen. President Putin repeatedly said that it is not true when somebody is saying that Russia is against negotiations. Actually, uh, Anthony Blinken said this in Davos uh, a few days ago. It is not true. Russia was always emphasizing that any serious proposal which would include the discussion of the situation on the ground, of the origin of this situation, and of reaching a solution which would, guarantee legitimate national interests of Russia and Ukrainian people, we would be ready to discuss it.
1: That's a statesman, Karen.
2: (laughs) Yes, really is. We don't see that very often in the United States.
1: (laughs) No, we we see secretaries of uh, state uh, speaking as if they're addressing a domestic uh, political uh, audience. Uh, much like their bosses the uh, the presidents too. I just thought he was very very savvy and and I wonder at this end game in Ukraine uh, why uh, President Zelensky is not being pressured by the White House let me rephrase that why the White House is not pressuring President Zelensky or why the White House doesn't pick up the phone? and say to uh, Foreign Minister Lavrov, yeah, let's meet in Geneva. We've got to resolve this thing. Why is that not happening? There were rumors and news reports of the rumors last week that Zelensky had asked uh, the folks that run the Swiss government to put together high-level talks, Americans, Russians, Ukrainians, uh, in I guess the Brits would have to be there as well to, to do whatever the Americans tell them to do and say whatever the Americans want to hear. Uh, But anyway, to put together a a negotiating, a high level negotiating team in Geneva. I don't know if those reports were accurate. I don't know if that's happening. Why isn't it happening? Don't Joe Biden and Tony Blinken and Victoria Nuland and Jake Sullivan see how their uh, Ukrainian escapade has failed and failed catastrophically?
2: Yeah, I I think they recognize that it's failed um, to achieve Anything positive for the American people, and I think they, by by changing course now in an election year, I think it's very risky for them because, you know, as, as we change course, and what way could we change course? Well, negotiations, which will which will entail loss of uh, some of the eastern Ukrainian territory, of course, and it will be a recognized as a Ukrainian loss in that war. You can wrap words around it to make it look like an agreement, but it will be a loss for Ukraine. Ukraine is damaged, it's wrecked, it's lost its people. Um, and it's lost territory. So if they move in that direction of recognizing that, the, all that comes, all that communicates back to the American voter is uh, Joe Biden is another loser. First, he did Afghanistan. Now he, he did this, can't win anything. And that's not uh, something that they want to hear. Now, if the Democrats could get rid of Joe Biden and put a different Democrat up there, this would be totally doable. So this can be blamed on Joe Biden, both as the current president, and as a president who is aspiring to uh, run another race and be president again. So it is all on Joe Biden in this regard.
1: You you have written uh, about this, Karen. The current president, uh, the one who wants another $68 billion to kill more Russian boys, uh, the one who was his uh, friend, uh, the prime minister of uh, uh, Great Britain, are attempting to destroy the military capacity of the Houthis, the one who acknowledges those attempts uh, are failing, wants to kill, wants to expand war. Does, Mm -hmm. I'm switching gears now, Prime Minister Netanyahu have Joe Biden painted in a corner. Is Joe Biden willing to, do you think, expand uh, a war in the Middle East to include Iran and the United States?
2: Well, Joe Biden does not see himself, and he never has even when he was all there. He's not all there now. But all his life he has been very uh, combative in his personality, very much, uh, you know, he, he considers that he has battle smarts and street smarts, which he doesn't, but he has political smarts. But he imagines that he is a man of action, and he believes, Uh, ignorantly because he has grown up. He's never had a real job. His entire career has been in D.C. So he believes what the propagandists in D.C. tell him. Oh, we have the greatest military in the world. Nothing can stop the American military. It's high tech as it could be. We're leading the planet. It's not just the money we spend, but our technology, our training. And he believes that. Okay, and so he thinks, um, yeah, I can take these risks and I'm not going to back down. We're going to show these people what the American military is all about. And we're going to have our way. That is Joe Biden to a T. Um, unfortunately, he is misinformed. He's ill-informed. And he's not all there. So he will stumble into something. I think he's totally willing to expand the war in the Middle East. And if he could get away with bombing Iran, he would probably do it. I don't see that that he would resist uh, those urges because that's what motivates him is these kind of uh, urges. Now, Netanyahu, Netanyahu is not a stupid man. He, he knows he's a political beast. He has Joe Biden's number from 20 years ago from yesterday. He understands exactly what he's dealing with. And, you know, you can see Blinken wringing his hands and insisting this is true and that's true. Only to friendly audiences, because Blinken can't defend anything Biden's doing. But Blinken is um, also in the pocket of Netanyahu. But Blinken at least has some self-awareness. He sees how... You know we're being manipulated um netanyahu could care less if we start a war in the middle east he would probably welcome it so you know there's nothing stopping joe from doing that
1: all right i said i wasn't going to run another i said i wasn't going to run another blinken and tom friedman but i want to do it because you mentioned it Uh, chris i think this is number seven the old number seven here is uh uh tony blinken being interviewed by Tom Friedman, in the same interview at Davos uh, last week, Blinken on Gaza.
0: One of the things you hear so often from people, given the high civilian casualties in Gaza, is does the United States, do Jewish lives matter more than Palestinian and Muslim lives, and Muslim, Palestinian Christian lives, uh, given the incredible asymmetry uh, in casualties? And I've been asked that. I want to give you a chance to respond to that. No, period. Um, For me, I think for so many of us, um, what we're seeing every single day in Gaza uh, is gut-wrenching. And the suffering we're seeing among innocent men, women, and children breaks my heart. The question is, what is to be done? We've made judgments about how we thought we could be most effective in trying to shape this in ways to get more humanitarian assistance to people, to get better protections and, and, and minimize civilian casualties. Um, and at every step along the way, not only have we impressed upon its responsibilities to do that, um, we've seen some progress in areas where, absent our engagement, I don't believe it would have happened.
1: Absent our engagement, the Israelis would have to stop uh, their war crimes in a heartbeat. All it would take is a phone call. How do you compare that weak, misleading hand-wringing to the Mm -hmm. solid, stable analysis we just heard from Russian Foreign Minister Lavrov, you you cannot compare them.
2: No, no, and yet they hold the same position in in comparatively for the two countries. Um, Lavrov is is of course exceptionally well informed and has, uh, you know, interesting thing. Lavrov, he's a Russian, so we don't know about Russians. Right? They they Russians lie, they say, but Lavrov particularly um, has always come across as very honest. Um, when he says things, he connects them to reality, to historical reality, to real world events. He's, he's very reasonable. He's not, uh, you know, he's just an honest person who has thought about these things. And clearly when we see Blinken, that question that Friedman asked is a very good question, right? Uh, It's, it's a hard question, really. Do Jewish lives matter more than Christian and Muslim lives? Well, Blinken, who certainly has heard that question before, honestly, didn't even address it, did not even address it, had nothing to come back with. And it's a question he should have been prepared for. Um, And then he talks about, oh, but we've saved some lives because of our particular intervention. What intervention? Are you talking about the, you know, the billions of tons or thousands, hundreds of thousands of tons of weapons that we have accelerated the flow to Israel so that they can continue to kill the 27,000, Palestinians that have died so far, you know about the bulldozers, the American-made bulldozers that they are flattening northern Gaza with. You know, did he do anything about what his role there? Well, the guy has no perspective; he's not prepared. In fact, you know, I know Blinken is not a stupid person. I, I'm not saying he is, but but the lack of preparation and the inability of him to uh, to even do himself any favors as a person on the spot let's let's have an answer let's have an honest answer maybe you can't be as smart as lavrov but let's have an honest answer and he can't do it and it also tells you he's also afraid to some extent of the administration um they have they are in a box they are in a corner and I think when you see the performance of a guy like Blinken especially on these issues that he should be prepared to talk about and he can't do it um it, it is very concerning but see I'm an American. I'm concerned. What does the rest of the world think when they see this? Because the rest of the world is, is not our friend, particularly. And they see this kind of weakness at that level. Um, I really wonder, you know, what that what does for us as Americans. It doesn't do us any good at all. And I'm not advocating for a different president. This is, this is systemic in Washington.
1: Here's uh, another clip. From Foreign Minister uh, Lavrov on honesty uh, and on uh... what does the United States do to get other countries to vote with it in the UN? Is it being honest with them or is it using a characteristic? Why is this Western when over 140 countries in the General Assembly voted to condemn this? invasion.
3: It is not important for us who was voting what way, uh, because uh, all these votes, I know how the uh, Americans and the Brits and some Europeans uh, are getting those votes. I have many friends in in New York and when these resolutions were voted, I asked, why did they vote this way? And they told me, you know, being a bit ashamed, you understand that I... uh, have walked here for 10 years. Uh, my kids are in Stanford, and before the vote, uh, they came to me and said, Don't forget about that your kids are studying there, and don't forget that your bank account is in such and such bank. So, your, Wait your a contention second. You, is that no, no, no. My, all my, of my, most my... of these countries no, no, no.
1: were pressured by the United States?
3: Not most, all of them. Not uh, most, all of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I
2: mean, we shouldn't.
1: Uh, we shouldn't laugh. But I, I, we ran that clip to compare and contrast his remarkable honesty uh, with the remarkable, either foolishness, irrationality, or dishonesty—however you want to characterize it—of his opposite number, the Secretary of State. Oh yeah, for
2: sure. It's, uh, and I remember years ago when we, you know, UN votes when I was in the military, we paid attention to those kinds of things. And it was very well known how we got all these, many of them little countries, if you go beyond the five Eyes countries, you know, the Brits and whatnot. But many of these small countries that really don't have, a, you know, an opinion on some of these uh, critical matters that would embarrass the United States if they voted against them, pressured them. And, and many of the pressures came in terms of uh, uh, you know, aid, uh, military exercises we were going to have in their country, or um, not just military aid, but other types of uh, uh, USAID, uh, foreign loans, uh, making, helping make the case with the IMF. There's a zillion ways that we um, interfere with the global economy. And we use that. This is this is actually a big part of what uh, uh, both the Pentagon and the State Department do as a matter of their job is to gain allies. Now, how do you gain allies? You're not true allies, but you can get the votes stacked in your direction. And this is long before, uh, you know, 2022. This is back in the you know 1990s and 2000s. It's it's the same. We have a, a long-standing habit of doing that. And to be fair, when uh, you know, Russia was the Soviet Union and they had their satellites. Those guys voted as a bloc. There's no doubt about that. So, um, you know, I think uh, Lavrov definitely knows uh, what he's talking about.
1: Colonel Kwiatkowski, always a pleasure, my dear friend. You're so, uh, so spot on and such a, so refreshing to spend time with you. Thank you, Karen. We'll see you again <laughs> Thank Thanks so for all your time. I hope, I hope we can see you again next week. Absolutely. OK. Very smart lady. Very happy to have her uh, with us as one of our uh, regular guests. Coming up at four o'clock Eastern, uh, Max Blumenthal's colleague and partner, Aaron Matei, right here, judging freedom, Judge Napolitano.